0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. We're back with our good friend, Bill Whittle, whose work you can find at BillWhittle.com. You can also subscribe to Bill on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Bill uh, Whittle channel. Whittle spelt like the thing that your uh, high-pants granddad used to do with a stick on the back porch while complaining about all the balls in his yard.
1: Bill, how have you been? What's new? Good to have you back. Slow news week, huh? Slow um, news
0: week. If only we could find something to talk about, we'd, we'd have a real show here.
1: I did. Uh, I did after uh, the the night that they called it um, the election night. I was uh, I was doing something live, and I mean, I did a a, a canned speech for the for the people, and um, and I started off with the the clip from Lord of the Rings uh, where where the Tower of Barad-dur collapses. You know, and the evil eye falls to the ground, and and everybody's, and 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 that sense that. It, it, it's all. It's still impo- It's not impossible for me to believe that Donald Trump won, Stefan. But I don't think you or I or anyone has any idea of the of the really any idea of the magnitude of of what's happened. I know. I know we think we do, but we we have no idea. About the first of all, we don't have any idea about the kind of pushback that's going to come. But put all that negative stuff aside for the time being. I mean, it is simply the most spectacular thing I've ever seen in this country's history. Uh, it's it's it was just absolutely magnificent. And there's so much to talk about, so I'll let you just lead this thing along here. But I I, I am I'm still just completely overjoyed.
0: Of course I'm far too cool to get any of these Lord of the Rings references so <laughs>
1: by the way by the way uh, I wanted to I wanted to congratulate you uh, uh, publicly you were you were you've been right this whole time 100% right I had some serious concerns about uh, Donald Trump as a candidate needless to say I supported him and I voted for him and uh, and I have to say uh, since the third debate, I don't think we've talked for a while, he was different in the third debate. I thought the third debate he was great. I thought the Gettysburg Address was great. I thought the speech in Grand Rapids was great. Uh, and then to my, to my not to my astonishment, but to my absolute joy, uh, I have to tell you a super quick story, which you'll like quite a lot. Um, I was watching, I was live casting um, the event, uh, the election results. I, I was pretty much at Never Trump headquarters. And believe it or not, I, was, I wanted to be there because I wanted to be a... Kind of a pro-Trump voice, because you know, when somebody said, "What do you think about Trump?", my first response was, "I like his hat," uh, and it turns out the hat won. Um, in any event, I was over at at, at this um, kind of Never Trump headquarters, and as you remember, the election was over, and then two hours later, they called that the election was over. So it was a two-hour period there waiting for them to you know, have the courage to admit this. And uh, somebody who's a prominent, very prominent Never Trumper said, "Okay, now Trump's going to come out for his acceptance speech." And he's just going to trash everybody. He's going to talk about how he how told them all and how he won big, hugely, hugely, hugely. And in real time, I said, well, what if he doesn't? What do you mean? Well, what if he doesn't? What if he comes out and he's gracious? He's not going to be gracious. But what, if, but what if he is? But what if he is? You've been saying this whole time, and, and there's a case to be made for it, that Donald Trump was telling people what they wanted to hear in order to become president. Well, he's president-elect now. He has not anything to prove to anybody. He can be him real self. What if he's graceful? What does that tell you? And they just simply couldn't believe it. And then he came out and gave the most graceful acceptance speech I think I've ever heard. Uh, the next day or the day after, he's sitting with Barack Obama in the White House. And instead of, you know, Barack Obama called him a fool and and, a, and, a, and, a, and a unfit and insane, basically. And he says, um, you know, I have a, a great meeting with the president. And, and I look forward to, to working with him in the future. I look forward to uh, getting his counsel uh, in times of crisis. I mean, these are presidential moments. And, and I... Well, you—you you, again. I—I I bow down before your vision, but clearly, I think we can agree that this is not the person who started this campaign and and ran through the primaries. Or certainly, it's not his public persona.
0: Well, sure, and I mean, this was not wildly unpredictable from knowing. Successful marketing, successful sales. You you first mm-hmm. make a splash to get people's attention, which is why you talk about uh, rapists on the border and so on, and then that gets lots of people's attention, and then you go through that um, Henry V arc from Playboy to uh, to King, uh, and um, you you bring people along with you. I mean, this is something that you know. If if only he hadn't published his playbook, I guess we could call us prescient. But it's funny because you know lots of people. Um, were saying to me that uh, I predicted it, and and uh, Mike and I on the show have been calling this stuff since last summer. And uh, it's not a prediction is a very passive thing. You know, you know, it's like saying, well, I predict that I'm going to go to the store tomorrow and get, get milk." you know, if if you're if you're working to try and achieve something, you don't make a prediction, uh, you make it happen. Uh, And that, I think, is a a bit of a different thing. But, uh, yeah, certainly the man uh, the man came through and the voters came through. And um, now we're just uh, watching this giant uh, man stride over the smoking wreckage of the mainstream media's credibility, which has been my target all along.
1: As mine, um, I, I was good friends with Andrew Breitbart and I remember uh, speaking quite a bit about, um, Breitbart said it's never, the progressives are not the enemy, the, the candidates are not the enemy, it's the press, it's the press, it's the press, it's the press. And uh, because if we had a free press, we wouldn't have had a President Obama, and we wouldn't have had a, a, a Hillary Clinton as a candidate. So yes, they're destroyed. Um, they're the the as i said the magnitude of this is unbelievable and and i've had a chance i was at an event uh, right after the election with some pretty big uh, donors and to my enormous enormous relief the universal um the universal mood among everybody was there was not a single person who went hey, hey we won uh, game over there'll never be another democratic president in our lifetimes you know everybody i spoke to said we have got 4 years to make really make some fundamental advances in this country and i think we've got 4 years to grow an entire crop of conservatives my my messaging going forward is going to be very different it's you know i've been playing defense for uh, even when george bush was in power i was i was playing defense uh, we've been so busy telling people what we're against it's time to start telling them what they're for so i'm going to start getting down to the fundamentals of capitalism the fundamentals of income inequality all the rest because we have got to we have got to turn this younger generation, and frankly, if, if you've already voted for Hillary or Bernie, we're just going to triage you off to the side for the time being. I want I want a message for 15, 16, 17-year-olds who are going to be voting for their first time in uh, 2020 and have them understand what this last two generations has never understood, the basics of freedom, the basics of of capitalism, the evils of socialism, all of these things.
0: Well, of course, the important thing to remember is that young people have never known a decent economy. They've never known opportunity. They've never known growth. You know, when I was a kid, I got my first job when I was 10, and uh, been working pretty solidly ever since. And you could just, you know, it's like old economy steam. Steve, this this, uh, meme that's really, really funny, Uh, you know, arrive 15 minutes before your flight. Leaves because you live in the 70s, right? Arrive 15 minutes before your flight leaves. Here you go. <laughs> Come on board, yep. right? And uh, one of them is like, uh, get, get fired from your job, walk across the road, get another job. You know, That's the right. economy used to function in ways that people simply don't understand. This all started to sort of fall apart. I remember graduating from my master's degree in the 90s. And man, it was brutal trying to get work. I mean, I I couldn't even get a job as a waiter. I was weeding people's gardens, washing their cars, you know, just the economy started to fall. So the younger people have not seen a functioning economy where wages are going up, where there's demand, where you have choices, Where because when there's a functioning economy and demand is increasing, the workers have a lot more power. When Correct. the economy is shrinking, uh, particularly with the H-1B visas, who basically are like modern digital serfs, then the employers have all the power because there aren't other jobs out there who are demanding your services. And so they've seen what the socialists complain about. Oh, they the capitalists and the bosses have all the power and the workers are helpless. It's like, yes, that's because of socialism. That's not why socialism. That's after socialism because that's they it. haven't seen a functioning economy in their lifetimes or their parents for, the, for, for large part.
1: My great concern, and I've been expressing it for the last eight years, was that we were raising entire generations of Americans who had never experienced anything like correct economic growth and that one percent or half a percent would be the new normal. That would be a good year. So think about the opportunity that this gives us for people who, who let's just take a hypothetical person who voted for Obama in 2008 when they were 18. Um. They have never seen real economic growth. They've never seen companies hiring people. They've never seen any of this stuff. They've never seen um, negotiations in in overseas diplomacy that are fundamentally based on what we can achieve together, rather than you know, look, the whole Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama thing. These were two really weak, weak individuals who had to just rattle sabers and, you know, and and, and we came, we saw, he died, kind of just vile nonsense. Trump's position, you know, is like, well, uh, uh, Putin and I seem to get along. We, he's got his national um, interests; we have ours. Let's find out where they overlap. Let's work towards those. And and Putin's response was, we're looking forward to normalized relations. Just as a, just as an example. Um, the the, op- the opportunities are amazing, but the one I really 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 want to gloat about, frankly, I want to just want to gloat about two things. I want to gloat about Hillary Clinton's character, and I want to gloat gloat about the pop culture, about the whole movie star, uh, you know, celebrity media complex thing.
0: Well, um, gloat away. Uh, you certainly won't be losing me uh, if you have negative opinions of uh, Hillary Clinton's character. You know, I just well, want to insert a tiny joke before we start, where please. Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, talking to the devil saying, you, you said I was going to win. The devil's saying, you said you had a soul. So off awesome. you go.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think the most telling thing ever about Hillary Clinton um, in her entire career, which ended with a big exclamation point on Tuesday. It's funny. I think the dot at the bottom of the exclamation point was actually the most revealing thing about her. She had, as, as every candidate has in a presidential election, she had large numbers of people, thousands of people waiting for her her campaign headquarters, and perhaps more than any election really in recent history with the possible exception of Obama in 2008, these people were convinced they were going to win. And I think the fact that Hillary Clinton did not come out and address her supporters is the, not in terms of scale, but in terms of revealing who she is, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, when you lose an election, and believe me, I, I know this feeling, uh, <laughs> What 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 the what the concession speech is, Stefan, is it's a chance for, for the candidate to first of all say to those people who are standing out there, thank you for your work. We know that you gave a year of your lives. We know we gave them everything you got. Thank you for your work. But ultimately, really, what a concession speech is, is its emotional closure. It's a sense of saying, look, we gave it our best shot. We did our best. We didn't win. Now that we haven't won we need to congratulate the president and we need to and we need to understand that he deserves a break and 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 it gives them closure and 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 a decent gracious concession speech makes them real think that they voted for the right person and that, that this all wasn't in vain for her to do what she did and the way she did it first of all I'm not coming out I'd like to speculate about that for a minute is she is she, is she incapable of coming yeah that's what I think too yeah, yeah. that's what I, I think, think she was in the sauce um I think so too but but so she, for, when this was happening live, as I say, I was watching this live on camera. And when it was revealed that she was not going to come out, I just yelled at the at the TV screen, "You coward! You coward! You coward! You miserable coward! You know there are people out there waiting in the cold for you to come out and tell them what happened. They were they were. You would have come out if you'd won, wouldn't you? Um, you coward! And then to send Podesta out there was coward." The of and all then, the people, then, I mean, this is then, this is
0: the guy yes. who, who was so bad with his security, right? He gets one of these phishing emails saying, "Oh, you you, you change your email account uh, password." And then he's like, "The the IT guy's like, no, no, don't click on that because that's just phishing. Here's the correct link, but you should go and change your password." He goes and clicks on the original, enters his password. This is the idiot who started this drip, 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 right? That that uh, came yep. out that that was constant, and you know, cost, cost a lot of Hispanic votes. Apparently, they're not that much into spirit cooking slash devil worship slash whatever god-awful thing was going on in this supposed art and i don't know weimar Imagine style decay surprised. yeah i mean of but all the people to-, to send out send send out your dog to yap into the microphone do not send out podesta who a lot of people blamed
1: and just let me just to finish this point um so they send out podesta and podesta comes out and says well as far as we're concerned uh, the election is still on a lot of states are too close to call and the second he said that i shouted it again i wasn't aware of this it wasn't something i did intentionally i was just so into the moment again Coward! You cowards. You miserable cowards. What we want is we want all of you to go home. We'll be here in the morning counting overnight. You miserable, miserable, right at the same time she's giving her concession speech. So these people didn't even have the the, the guts to face their own core supporters. And I think this needs – uh, this is not just something to gloat over. I think this is something that needs to be really trumpeted uh, to these people who think that Hillary Clinton – did you see the Saturday Night Live thing where they're playing hallelujah, uh, uh, you know uh, – It's you know honestly. Do not milk the death. Do not
0: milk the death of Leonard Cohen to get us to cry crocodile tears for this like Middle East destroying sociopath. Like what a what a horrible juxtaposition.
1: Exactly, exactly. But we need to we need to press this point. And I think of all the points that we need to press in terms of either the left, who is very difficult to convince, or the moderates, who I think are just looking to be convinced. We have to say to them, you claim that this person should have been president because she's fought all of her life for you. Well, she's not done anything she named a street and she named a building when she was a senator she's destroyed the middle east and she didn't even care enough about you to be able to come out on stage and and say thank you and goodbye and by the way i know you're going to run with this one but what does it say you know that the 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 woman power candidate you know women 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 were powerful were powerful were powerful was apparently too upset to come out and give a concession speech you know i don't remember in my living memory i cannot remember uh, a, a candidate not giving a concession speech, except for Gore, of course, who conceded and then unconceded But he at least had some counting to do. Uh, what does it say to all these, you know, to these power feminists who say Hillary's the uh, she, she she was crying and collapsed and couldn't face the public? What does that tell you about her ability to deal with some grave, grave, grave fin- uh, financial problem or 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 international military problem?
0: Well, I. Uh... I don't know that it does a lot to push back against gender stereotypes if we think that she was too emotional to come out and give a speech, to, to overcome with emotion, to do the right thing, not just for her reporters or for Donald Trump, but for the Republic as a whole. You need, you need that concession. You need the handshake you do. after the match. In order, that, that is, a, that is a, a vote of confidence in the orderly transition of power that the Republic represents. And that would, do, would have done a lot, I think, to calm down her voters. Uh, and the speech she finally gave was not the speech that helps calm down. She knows her supporters are volatile. Hell, they paid them to be volatile. They paid for this bird doggy, and they paid for these mentally ill people to go out there and start fights with Trump supporters. They know know their supporters are violent, so they should have been talking them out of their fiery trees uh, at the beginning. And the way that she handled it was almost guaranteed to add fuel to the fire of what came and what we've seen over the past five or six days.
1: And we should have been hearing this nonstop from President Obama and from Hillary Clinton on the, on TV all the time saying, listen, this is disgraceful. This is not who we are. You know, they're always telling us who we are. <laughs> they could be doing, they could be doing an awful, awful lot to be calming these riots down and they're not. And now this, this, this guy was beaten to death, you know, to death, um, over it and, and, and they're not doing anything, and that's who they are. And by the way, I, I know we're we're on the same page on this. But every single night we watch this, more people who had their doubts about Donald Trump become more com- more convinced that he was the right vote. They stopped the one hundred one freeway for a couple of hours. He, I, the second I heard this, I said, "You've just made eighty thousand Trump supporters. You're the reason that that he won, and you're the reason that people who had their who who may have voted with some with some." Um, reservations, every single night, we become more and more convinced this was the right thing to do.
0: Well, and uh, it's, to me, most delightful. I think the mainstream media was Trump's biggest ally, despite themselves. Uh, And it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful, Bill, to see that they've learned absolutely nothing. Absolutely That's exactly right. nothing. They're doubling down as these idiots always do. I mean, the the social justice warriors who invaded Twitter and are threatening the existence of Twitter—they invaded a bunch of other companies, not not to reform them, but to destroy them. And it's they've it's invaded. They've them, yes. invaded the Democrat Party and turned it away from. I think it had a much more reasonable mission in the past, but they've invaded it and destroyed it. And they've invaded the mainstream media and they're destroying it. Uh, this is just a bunch of termites. Uh, you know, go go find whack a bigot a game from here to eternity. Find some area in in human. Endeavor, find a disparity, blame all the disparity on bigotry, and then propose more government programs to close it down, which can never work because some of these disparities are not due to bigotry, but just the bell curve of of abilities across various groups. And this game that uh, has infested the media, has infested Democrats, is infesting academia, going to bring all these institutions down and good damn riddance to that because we need something healthier to grow in its place.
1: And and when we talk about not really fully realizing the magnitude of what's happened yet, I, I haven't heard anybody else talking about this, but it's going to come up. And if we're smart, we're going to run with this football all the way down the field. Uh, more blue-collar workers voted for Republicans than Democrats. The Democrats had the multimillionaire Silicon Valley guys and the multimillionaire celebrities, but the Republicans had the working man, the common people. And what's so interesting about this is – that the democratic brand is the little guy that's the brand it's not like a co- coalition of theirs that's their brand and we we've, we've this last election proved that they don't have a brand anymore they cannot they cannot go back and recover these people they are now the party of millionaires and billionaires the republicans are the party of, of the working man and honesty and and bringing jobs back and all the rest of it and that leaves them not just without votes but it leaves them without a, a purpose they're going to find some new purpose by the way and and i'm I, and by the way stephen i am on my knees we just we just can't be this lucky at, you know at one time but if they do make uh, keith ellison the new chairman of the democratic national <laughs> committee in order to show us in order to show us how how progressive and tolerant they are they're utterly convinced that they lost because they didn't run hard enough to the left. If they do that, <laughs> then we, and there's serious talk about doing it. Right. Then I think that I think we will be. Did you not know this?
0: I I have heard a number of explanations as to why they lost, which we'll get into after this. Um, I I had not heard the one that they <laughs> didn't
1: feel that they, they've run
0: left he, enough. He, you know, well, I'd be more Ellison successful is, if I was just a little bolder. I mean, that's
1: <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Ellison is being <laughs> he's being trumpeted as the as the um as the answer because uh, bernie's pushing him very hard because see when you live in a world of virtue signaling and virtue signaling trumps everything else if you'll pardon the expression um then you, you find yourself in a world where, well, okay, we didn't win because we didn't signal how much ver- – they, they did their very best to demonize anybody who is against them as a racist, bigot, homophobe, misogynist. But maybe they didn't show everybody just how much better than us they really are. So now they're going to elect the only Muslim in, in, um, in Congress, or at least he was when he started, as the DNC chair to show all of us just how unbelievably tolerant and special they are. And we just don't have that kind of luck.
0: Yes, I, I did but, notice with- uh, all, all of the tolerance uh, that uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign showed, the basket of deplorable statements, uh, and, and Obama too, right? Remember all of the people uh, who were sort of in flyover country, the white people were like rednecks, bitterly clinging to guns and religion mm. and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, no, the, the, the contempt that the left has infected the Democrat Party with uh, is, you know, that there's statements that Democrats made in the past. I mean, you look at uh, JFK, a staunch Democrat, his statements on communism could have come out of the mouth of richard
1: nixon
0: uh, he would I think be a, a
1: center-right politician today if he didn't change at all he'd be a center right politician absolutely ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country what do you mean ask not what my country can do for me the only reason i'm voting for you bastards is so i get my little yeah. uh food stamps and, and and you know my my free phones right no the, the world is changing and they're going in the wrong direction it makes me very very happy
0: no they're done i i believe if we don't let up right you know it's like this to take an analogy you know that that scene ah we are we are flushed with endorphins from our victory let us now be gracious and magnanimous is like nope i've seen this movie way too many times when the good guy lets the bad guy back up uh and uh, that's not that's not a good ending because it just gets uglier from there
1: i want to be clear about this because i think this is really really very important point about where we go now in the next several days but you know between now and the inauguration let's say Showing grace to these people is not a way of is not is not losing the battle. Showing grace to them, from at least from Trump's point of view, is in fact beating them worse. He's beating them worse. But to your main point, I couldn't agree more. I'm, we're both students of history. I'm a big student of military history, and any numbers, any again, countless numbers of wars could have ended after a crushing defeat. Of, of of one side but the victors st- stood on the battlefield and cheered and cheered and cheered and the, and the, then the defeated army ran across the river and regrouped and came back and eventually won we got to run these bastards into the river oh, we yeah, have I to mean, run them into the river
0: one one example of course um, yeah one example which is a, a, there's a more complicated but just for something to stick in people's heads in the first world war germany was never invaded and uh, then they regrouped, took them 20 years. They regrouped and started again. Now, in the Second World War, uh, Germany was eviscerated, bombed into crap, uh, and invaded. And they've pretty much been meek as lambs ever since. Uh, if you look at what happened, of course, to Japan at the end of the Second World War, well, mm-hmm. I mean, the, everyone knows, of course, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but uh, the fire bombings of Tokyo killed even more people. And so it is tragic. And of course, we're speaking in analogies. <laughs> Nobody's talking about violence against people, but right. uh, the the reality is that. Um, an enemy vanquished to the point of true humility, not humiliation, exact, but true humility. Right. Uh, that is when they just magically will discover reason and uh, peace. And you haven't seen a lot of imperialism coming out of Germany or Japan since the Second World War. And uh, that's just one of countless examples we could pit- pick out of a, a basket
1: we the examples of germany and japan are precisely what we should be looking at because as you say in both cases they were faced with utter ruin it wasn't like we kind of knocked them back behind the borders of germany they were utterly on their knees all of the all of the firebrands had been killed and basically the the german people had come to the conclusion that they would rather surrender than continue this thing because they could have fought on. I mean, with bamboo spears in Japan, but but we they they were absolutely defeated. And if they are absolutely defeated, and then magnanimity is shown to people, that's the magic formula. Because they'd been told their whole time, their whole lives, the Japanese and the Germans, especially the Japanese, the Americans are going to come and they're going to rape all of our women and they're going to and they're going to murder our kids and put them on poles and and all the rest of it. And when the Americans came and they were expecting this, and they were still willing to surrender, expecting this kind of horror and the americans came and started handing out candy bars it it rewired those countries utterly rewired them and this is why i'm so impressed with donald trump's magnanimity because if you can have that grace that grace and at the same time you've got to push 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 these political objectives you've got to just do it then, then you are going to genuinely make a, a, a major movement that's going to really have a long term effect on this country.
0: So let's talk about two things, if that's all right with you. Sure. Number one is Obama's Absolutely. legacy, which I think is uh-huh. being um, a little brushed over at the moment because uh, apparently looking at these facts, I don't know, probably racist. Who knows what, <laughs> who knows what people are going to say? Number one. And number two, I don't want to sort of understand some of the never Trumper stuff and you're a little closer to them than I do, so you can help sort of carry the message out. So Obama's legacy, uh, I have Trying to find a place for this rant. I'll keep it short, and I appreciate your patience, but lord above, this was not a real president, and this was not a real presidency in my opinion. This was more like live-action role-playing. It was like hail to the chief in a video game. The reason being that um, there was, as you know, the stimulus bill that was passed uh, in the 2008 crisis Mm -hmm. that gave an extra – trillion dollars basically a trillion 970 whatever it is right basically a trillion dollars of extra spending and for those who don't know there's been no budget ever since because if there was a budget they'd have to drop that trillion dollars of extra spending so in and that the trillion dola- years, and,
1: and that trillion dollars went on george bush bush's tab by the way because even though obama obama raised it and spent it it happened in fiscal 2008 so that that money goes on George Bush's tab.
0: Right. So every year they have ha- because they haven't passed a budget in Congress, every year they got to spend an extra trillion dollars. Now, <laughs> you don't have to be a great politician to prop up a faltering economy if over your 8 years you spend 8 trillion extra dollars. 8 trillion extra dollars. That is half the GDP of the entire United States and almost half the debt that has accumulated. That is a staggering sum of money and the fact that the economy has performed so badly that it's just kind of petered along and just kind of drudged along and said, oh, well, unemployment is down. It's like, well, you know what? If you get to spend an extra $8 trillion in your presidency, it's not a real presidency. know Obamacare would have collapsed long ago if they weren't able to prop it up with all of this extra money. It's not a real mm-hmm. presidency. It was all just magic money, fantasy money, made-up stuff. You didn't have to be that great. It's like saying, hey, you know what? Bill I'm a I'm a great psychologist I can make you fantastically happy by injecting cocaine directly into your brain. Hey look, one session with me and you're happy. It's like that's not real therapy. That's not that's just artificial stimulation. So the legacy to me people aren't even talking about that it was all unreal based on this magic money that was created.
1: I, I did a video, I want to say about four, three or four years ago, called The Vote Pump, and basically what I was saying was uh, we, bar- we know what we spend and we, what we raise and what we borrow. You could, in fact, give everybody, prior to Trump arrival, you could give everybody a tax cut and still pay for the federal government that almost two, three 3 quarters of the money we spend are on entitlements. So what entitlements are essentially is they're taking money from the from from republicans and from people who produce and they're giving it to people in exchange for votes. And when you take two cuz you said it's a trillion dollars in extra spending it's re, when you throw in the actual entitlements that are that were in fact budgeted it's more like 2 trillion dollars a year. And people talk about well there's a $100 million in campaign ads or, or soros has pushed a billion dollars into this please. And so when you look at the the magnitude of the wind, Stefan, it's you, Trump won, despite the fact that huge numbers of people had been paid to vote Democrat for their entire lives. And he won against a 50 point headwind in terms of the media. At least that, I mean, honestly, if there had been a fair media, there wouldn't have been a Hillary Clinton. And it is a magnificent monumental thing. And I utterly agree that their, that their credibility is, is just burned to the ground. And, um, I have a like. I have the, there's like a five point thing I'd like to talk about if we have a moment about what we do from here. But yes, I couldn't agree with you more. And and it is the end of the Obama presidency. It's his entire legacy. What what's his legacy? Obamacare. It's collapsing on its own. That's all he has. The Middle East is a catastrophe. The economy is a catastrophe. Racial relations are catastrophes. The only thing he has. Is Obamacare and it's done. It's it's you know, Trump's not. It's not going to live long enough for Trump to sign it out of existence.
0: Well, I mean, uh, the whole the whole party has collapsed underneath Obama, and people aren't really talking about that much. Twenty ten, Republicans took the House by winning sixty three seats. Biggest pickup since 1948. Six seats in the Senate. 2014, Republicans got another 13 House seats, took control of the Senate. The Democrats have lost more than 900 state legislature seats in the period of Obama's rule. I mean, that is a complete – you've got a roof and everything underneath is collapsing.
1: Remember all the conversations that were being had back just two, three months ago, which might as well have been two or three thousand years ago, as far as I'm concerned, given the changes that have happened. But it's the end of the Republican Party that the split between Donald Trump is the. It's the end of the Republican Party, and um, and and there won't be nothing left out of the wreckage. And as it turns out, there's the presidency, there's the Senate, there's the House of Representatives. Picked up everybody who ran with Trump won, and everybody who ran against him, Republican-wise. Uh, lost. So yeah, I'd love to talk about the Never Trumpers only because um, uh, you're right. I'm probably closer to them than you are. Okay, I'm well, not one of them. I'd like you, to say this wanna, one more time.
0: Book, I'll bookmark the Five Point Plan for because we also oh, we no want to place deal. it. Right? But um, so the Never Trumpers. I look. I'll just give you my two two cents on it. So I can understand, like, if you were a Cruz guy or a Kasich guy or whatever, yeah, give it your all. You know, get behind your candidate and, and try and get him the nomination. Yes. So I, I got no problem with people who were against. But once he got the nomination... I mean, come on, because then your choice was Trump or Hillary. Now, maybe you thought Trump was a fool. Maybe you thought he was a buffoon. But you know what he wasn't? He wasn't somebody who would threatened a nuclear power with war. He wasn't somebody who would threatened to nuke Iran. He wasn't somebody who had ridiculous amounts of scandals. He wasn't somebody who was married to a sexual predator. He was like he was none of these things. So the just never trust seems to be kind of hard to sustain after he got the nomination.
1: I just want to say that that uh, the last video I did before the election was called um, "Election 2016: Clinton versus a Turnip," and um, and basically I said Trump is so. If you're so lathered up about Donald Trump as a person, take him out, replace him with a turnip. How does Hillary Clinton stand up relative to the turnip? And the turnip wins hands down. I mean, it's no question. It's no contest that the that the turnip wins hands hands down.
0: So, what was the argument from the Never Trumpers again post nomination?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm always hesitant to speak for other people. I've, I've tried talking about libertarianism once or twice, and and, and I'm simply just not going to do it anymore. Um, but
0: your interpretation of their argument, my so let's put my it
1: interpretation is, uh, and I think this is pretty close to the to the fact. I think there's a philosophical argument, and I think there's an emotional argument, and they're connected. So I'll give you the philosophical argument first. The, as I understand the Never Trump people, the argument was this. Uh, Obviously, they have distaste for Donald Trump and so on, but they had more distaste for Hillary Clinton. I, I think that's actually true. So why would they allow her to become president by not voting for Trump? Their position was that um, that that true conservative values, classical conservative values, you would you would have a very difficult time fighting against. Fighting for those principles against a Republican who didn't believe in them, their feeling was that if you had a Democrat in there, and that the and that the catastrophes that are going to happen fell on the shoulders of the Democrat, then the contrast between between Hillary Clinton and classical uh, conservative values would be would be much clearer and much more easily done. So their position was, their position was. Trump is not a conservative, and it's not what I'm saying, this is what they say. Mm. Trump is not a conservative, and if we want a conservative, then we cannot have somebody who's not a conservative wearing the mantle of the conservative party. That's the essential argument. They thought their chances of a substantial cultural change would be much better in, in four years. Now, I'll get to the emotional argument in a minute, but how I responded to that argument was – there's not going to be another four years. And, and and everybody says that. I mean, it's always hyperbole about this. Oh, this is the most important election of our lives. But the point I was making is, look, it's not a question of the two candidates. The The IRS has been weaponized For four years now, the Department of Justice is not the Department of Justice. It's the Department of Justice that is suppressing the evidence that this woman is a multiple felon and a traitor. The institutions are so corrupt that the idea and forget forget the voter fraud and all the rest of it. I think if Hillary Clinton won, you could make it's. We'll never know. Thank God, but you could make a pretty compelling case that if Obama took eight years to get the country into that kind of shape, somebody as criminally um, corrupt as Hillary clinton in the final four years could in fact institute such incredible uh, uh, government corruption and voter fraud and all the rest that in fact you wouldn't win so i didn't think it was a no-brainer for me now i want to get to the um to the emotional part of the argument i think um, there's a term that we use a lot when well, first I, first time i heard it i, I loved it because it it's one of those t- expressions that you don't need to explain, and, and it's virtue signaling. We talk about the left as virtue signaling. It's, I'm driving down the 405 freeway, and somebody's driving a, driving a Prius, and I have a, pre, a free Tibet bumper sticker on. They don't give a damn about freeing Tibet. You want a free Tibet, have a bumper sticker that says National Rifle Association or U.S. Marine Corps. Um, what they're doing is they're showing all the other drivers on the road what incredibly noble people they are. They're very well educated. They're very moral. They feel for the people of Tibet, and they want, they want you. But it doesn't accomplish anything. It's virtue signaling, and all the celebrity stuff is virtue signaling. you made $30 million, and you're talking about poor people because you want to show everybody how swell you are. I think the Never Trump crowd was virtue signaling. I think they were virtue signaling on the right. They were essentially saying, my I." understand these conservative values and hold them so dear to my heart that i will not compromise with them no matter what the situation is i i I would rather go down on this on this uh sinking ship with my integrity intact than um than to make the kind of compromises that they saw donald trump as as being and they 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 were emotionally connected to they had a political philosophy they had an actual political strategy that made sense i think it was completely wrong but it's internally consistent we'd have a better chance to bring what we consider real conservatism in against hillary than than against trump that's a that's the political argument and that makes internal sense i disagree with it completely but it but it makes internal sense and then and then the emotional argument is um you know I don't. I, I don't want to put. When people say I don't want to, I would. I could not associate my my um, vote with Donald Trump after the many things he said and did that are vulgar and just you know coarse and all the rest of it. That was that was the emotional cover I think that they used to to justify this political position, so one justified the other, right, they had the political philosophy that says, all right, well, this is the reason why we shouldn't vote for Trump, um, but the, they had emotional reasons, too, and, and back and forth, and listen, this is my final thing on the final Trumpers, uh, never Trumpers, and that is that if we had lost this election, especially if we'd lost it narrowly, then this there would be a split in the conservative right, we'll just call it whatever you want to, in the right that would I don't think would ever heal. Um, the, the, the never Trumpers would say that, see, we told you Donald Trump could win. And the Trump supporters would have said he would have won if it hadn't been for you and your intransigence. And, um, and for me, once he became the nominee, it was, it was no brainer. I've criticized him and I'll continue to criticize him for things that I think he needs to be criticized for, but he every day has become a better and better and better candidate. And unlike the never Trump people, I've been, Preaching about this actually for the last two, three months, maybe before the election, certainly since the the, the third debate. My position was everybody saying, Oh, he's just he's just tailoring the message because he wants to tell people what they want to hear. My position the whole time was, what if he's learning? I mean, what if he's what if he is actually learning on the job? I mean, I suspect that Donald Trump didn't give a great deal of thought to a lot of constitutional niceties and stuff before he ran for president. And and I think I, I used to be a horrible person. I'm still a horrible person, I'm slightly less horrible than I used to be, but I stepped up into this line of work and, and he appears to be doing that with astonishing speed. I would say to them, look, Donald Trump learned on the apprentice he learned how to be obnoxious for the apprentice. I've worked on reality TV shows as an editor. There's nothing real about them. So let's just hypo- hypothetically say that Donald Trump is a, is a relatively coarse guy or maybe he's got a lot of ego obviously, but when he goes on the apprentice for the first time, he says, "You know what? This isn't working out. I think we're going to have to terminate your uh, your your engagement." Then the producers of the show pull him over and say, "No, no, no. This isn't what people are watching. We want we want bombast. We want we want we want you know, we want numbers. You're fired." He learned how to be that guy for the TV show. And And I think he's been doing an extraordinary job of of improving as a candidate, and I think he's going to be a superb president.
0: I think that the never-Trumpers, I I think there's an intellectual argument, um, and then there's emotional one, but I think there's a a deeper level too, which is uh, there is a tragic reality of the demographics in America, as in the Western country as a whole, that uh, people who are coming in from the third world overwhelmingly vote Democrat. I mean, it's always struck me as kind of odd, and it was a huge mistake, I think, that um, Ronald Reagan made, which was giving California to the Democrats by providing amnesty for three million um, immigrants or illegal immigrants, who are now ten million and a,
1: and a fifth and a fifth of every election after that, a fifth of the yeah. way to every presidential election after that. Yeah,
0: you, you'd think that the Hispanics who were legalized by a Republican might show some gratitude by voting Republican, but no. Uh, I've done the statistics. I've done the analysis. Uh, 80 odd percent of uh, Hispanics uh, for, uh, out of many groups, but just to sort of obviously the big one, they're going to vote Democrat. And so Hillary Clinton gets in and she starts the process of legalizing 10 to 20 million voters, 80 percent of whom are going to vote for the Democrats, it -hmm. doesn't matter what your political strategy is after that. You know, it's like, if you're holding up a little sword and there's an atomic bomb coming down, it doesn't really matter what your plan B is. But they didn't want to say that because they didn't want to talk about uh, ethnic or group disparities in voting patterns because then, ooh, even though Hispanic is not a race, it's racist, right? So I think that this failure to address demographics, the the people who I think were the most pro-Trump were the people who got and understood the demographic argument and the people who avoided that argument out of fears of being called racist were the ones who pretended there could be a plan b when statistically and demographically there couldn't be
1: we were not we were not going to get to 2020 there wasn't going to be a 2020 if, if we if we had let this person win i i saw that very clearly uh, as as you will know and as i we both know once you once you start making comments on on the kind of things we comment about the first thing they do is call you a racist and and when they call mitt romney a racist and a misogynist and john mccain and when they cut you just have to understand it's it's all they have and Stefan, the thing about this that i think is really powerful is that this racism charge only works against people who aren't racist i mean in terms of making people shut up it only works against people who aren't racist you know i have an opinion that's racist and they'll shut their mouth and they'll look down because they're not racist they don't want to be considered racist actual racists like nazis are they're proud to be racist but
0: yeah if you if you throw anti anti anti-semite at hitler he's like i guess you read the book Do do you (laughs) not see the armband you do
1: do not see the hood with the little so so they're proud of it but i think that this is their this this has been their h-bomb is this racism thing and they've dropped it so many times Mm -hmm. that there's the, the there's just it's actually now at the point where it's not only not effective it's actually almost funny it's actually almost comical it's getting there quickly Um, well, Trump won because of racism. Most of the people that gave Trump the victory were people who had voted for Obama, were were, were a a lot of working class whites who'd been voting Democrat their entire lives, just got tired of... They elected um, uh, Barack Obama, and he spent eight years telling them how racist they were, and all of the media and all the celebrities told the American people who elected Barack Obama to end racism, to show the world, you know, this was the mood back in 2000. We're going to show the world that we're not we're not the monsters that the Democrats and the socialists have made us out to be. And what do they get for their trouble? They get more of it and more of it and more of it and more and more and more and more and more. And, more. and people just had enough of it.
0: it yeah, it's funny how it is, uh, affirmative action doesn't work out in politics any more than it does in the, of, in the private market.
1: None of this does.
0: So let's um, – Let's talk about the the what's next, right? You you said there's a sort of five point plan because I think now that the smoke is clearing from the battlefield, people are looking at uh, you know the rebuilding the the momentum into the future, and uh, there is of course going to be some activity on the part of the left in the transition period between now and January. What are your thoughts on next steps?
1: Well, I just uh, look. Everybody's got plans, and but but the first thing I realized, Stefan, was the reason that the left got as far as they did, and they damn near won the election. That would have been the end of the country, is because for 50 years they've had a plan, and the plan is very clear. We all know what it is, and we're going to get into that with the Alinsky and and the whole idea of taking over the academia. And you know, they started with one or two percent of the population that were genuine communists, you know, and and they managed to get to 50 percent of the population. And it occurs to me, despite all the work that you're doing and I'm doing and everybody else is doing, nobody had a plan. Nobody had a plan on our side for how do you fight these guys? And I think we basically used their plan. So just very, very quickly, the first thing we need to do is we need to, we need to win the hearts and minds of young people. And that means we have to ammo up the young conservatives who are out there, these kids have tremendous moral courage and physical courage. And uh, call them conservatives, libertarians, whatever you want to, they're they're individualists and they're anti-statists. And we have to get them these little hand grenades of arguments. Uh, I went to an event for Turning Point USA, and, uh, and a lot of these kids were wearing um, stickers that said, I heart capitalism. <laughs> and that's awesome, because they're giving social proof that it's okay. But then I would say, what happens if somebody comes up to you and says, why do you heart capitalism? Got to be able to answer that question. And so we got to get them the, the tools they need to start spreading, going at the young people because you talk demographics. We cannot win a fight when they get bigger and we continue to get smaller. I think the second thing we do need to do is get into the pop culture, obviously. We have to have we, – we try to make conservative films. It's a disaster. We need to make excellent films that happen to be made by conservatives. Easy Rider came out at a time – of um, paint your wagon and seven brides for seven brothers and easy rider wasn't about communist takeover of healthcare, but it was about america as a dark place and an evil place and it hadn't been seen much about that before and it was cool and it was different people saw it third i think we need to outflank the news media and we don't have to beat them because they're dying and they were dying before this election uh the classic Mm -hmm. example for me is when Hillary Clinton stumbled, remember when she stumbled on the curb and actually just misstepped into the into that van? Right, she collapsed. And the only reason she collapsed was because there's 180 million people walking around this country with high definition television cameras in their pockets.
0: She collapsed like the like the Titanic took on just a little water, but yeah, took on ahead. a little
1: water exactly. And and you know what they say on Facebook and stuff is it's pics or it didn't happen, right? One thing I learned from this last cycle is if you do not have visual evidence, it just didn't happen. Six hundred and fifty thousand emails, treasonous emails, felonious emails didn't matter. There was no picture there was no sound of her saying i'm going to sell out the people and give me the money um and trump there was for the for the you know grab them uh thing there was actual audio visual for that so you know outflank the media fourth we need new kind of politicians we need to send people to washington who don't want to go we it, <laughs> going going to serve in congress should be like jury duty and there should be no re-election if you if you had a, a party that didn't re-elect its candidates the american people would fall down because it's we're citizen uh uh, legislators or' we're not and finally, and this one and this is the one that is going to generate a lot of a lot of feedback and I'd like to get your opinion on this we have to take away the progressives weapons and the way we do that is we have to address their causes uh, we we have to understand that these protesters out there we have to have an answer for them. you know we have these cities that have become war zones they're just and, and the toxicity gets nastier and the area gets larger the thing that trump did i think of of everything that i saw the smartest thing and the and w- was to say basically a new deal for black america because it is progressivism that has created this this horror of violence and and, and and so on and and there is a free market solution to all of this but if we don't address these issues then somebody else will and i don't want there to be a reason for progressives anymore because they're bad people and they, and they and they mess up everything Right.
0: Well, I certainly think we need an answer to social dysfunctions. And to me, the answer is uh, freedom. And and if that doesn't turn out to be the answer, more freedom. And if that doesn't, I think you get the pattern, right? Just just more freedom. I I do. I I think a huge thing that needs to happen, and and Trump has uh, touched on this very briefly, but um, we need to, need to, need to cut federal funding or even local funding to higher education. This needs to be scoured back down. There are way too many people in higher education. Not everyone is that smart not everyone yep. is that competent. It needs to go back to the, and I don't care where you come from, race, class, gender, who cares? You need to be super smart to get into higher education, and everybody else needs to be out there earning a living, because if you're in higher education, you're just continuing in that general amniotic sack of childhood to, to academia, you know, like it doesn't get you out into the real world. We need yeah. to get more people out there paying taxes, and fewer people in there being indoctrinated into Marxist ideology. That is going to be huge. School choice for parents is going to be huge, because that's going to flush yeah. Out the bad teachers and parents finally are finally going to have to have. A, they're going to get a say. Can you teach my child something useful in the marketplace? Can you just? I don't care how indoctrinated they are, because now they're saying, "Well, you know, we got these kids coming out of high school, Bill, and you know, we need to force employers to pay them fifteen dollars an hour. Why? Because schools they can't suck." Read. Because they they can't can't do a damn thing. They don't understand the market. They don't understand entrepreneurship. They don't understand adding value. They don't understand serving customers. They understand nothing. And we've got all these rules. And, of course, the immigrants are coming in, uh, illegal immigrants coming in, taking away jobs from teenagers, which is their entree into the workforce Mm -hmm. and into reality. More people paying taxes means smaller government. More people in academia being indoctrinated. Fewer people having jobs. More people on welfare means more and more government. Just look at these protesters. It doesn't look that they're overly concerned about getting up in the morning and getting to work.
1: They're college kids who are bored and trying to show off their moral uh, virtue. That's exactly right. Somebody said that we should immediately that President Trump should immediately issue an executive order that says that any suppression of free speech or any suppression of conservative values or any other values, any kind of intimidation, signs that are taken down, teachers that are doing this, that, 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 will, that will cut off your federal funding for your institution. That would get their attention. And listen, I, on a specific point, I'm, I'm very serious about this. I think I, I had a chance to talk with James O'Keefe briefly, and I think what we ought to do is we ought to take a high profile school, let's just take Stanford for an example. And I think what we ought to basically do is say, listen, it, we're paying sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year for my son to go to school here, and he's taking a math class, and he's supposed to get 50 minutes of math, but he's not getting 50 minutes of math. He's getting 20 minutes of math and 30 minutes of how great Hillary is. This is fraud. <laughs> we're going to sue you. We're going to have a class action lawsuit for you not delivering what you said. My son is in biology. Any minute that they spend in there lecturing about politics and not speaking biology is ripping me off. Uh, you either you either stop it or refund uh, Give me $20,000 back because I'm not getting an hour of biology and I'm not getting an hour of math because your professors are are, are pushing all the stuff in. Get some cameras in there. Everybody takes their cell phones into class, get the evidence, and then sue them. And you only have to do this one time to one school because then all of the other schools will realize that there's a liability here and they'll tell their faculty to, to, to knock it off.
0: Well, assuming they have the capacity to knock it off, well, they'll replace it. Because, yeah, I mean, even if you Keep go in- them.
1: Keep yeah. suing suing
0: Forget about math. I mean, that's certainly a valid approach. But in other things, too, you know, if you're going into feminist studies or you're going into, I you don't know, history of art studies or whatever, they all say that they're teaching critical thinking. Okay, well, where's the proof, right? Show me yeah, how right. critical thinking has improved. Give me independent tests about... Because in general, people who go into university come out knowing less and being less smart, less able to think than before they that's even right. went in. It's actually a brain toxin. It's environmental hazard for your basic synapses. So let's uh, look at what was promised. Let's look at what's delivered. And if... Yeah, if there are gaps, or even it's just as taxpayers, stop forcing me to pay for the indoctrination of the next generation that's going to overturn the very system I grew up loving. How about we have that uh, as an option? I mean, look, look what uh, – it was James O'Keefe who did that to, to Acorn, right? I mean, he, he saw – he showed he totally what was going on him. under the lid, and then they lost their yep. funding, and they lost their go. And same thing's happening with some aspects of Planned Parenthood, and, of course, he did that with the DNC, and he did that with their donors. So I'd love to see more cameras in higher education. I don't think people have any idea – because, you know, they have the fond memories of when they were in school – when things were a lot more uh, open-minded and and critical Mm -hmm. thinking was still being taught. I think if you lift the lid on this Marxist brain killing indoctrination cult that passes for higher education these days, I think people would be unbelievably shocked and appalled and then be like, it'd be pretty easy to cut their funding.
1: I think, and this Trump revolution happened at at, at an incredibly interesting time in human history where we could have gone either way. And, uh, all of the all of the structures that we've been talking about—the mainstream media, uh, college education, big education, Hollywood, the the, the culture mill in Hollywood—all of these structures are the result of a second wave industrial era uh, economy, where everything had to be centralized. The first wave economy of agriculture. Our constitution was written for an agricultural people. Basically, the constitution said the government should have the power to pave the roads and and keep away the Canadians. It's pretty much all they need. <laughs> to do Um, and 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 then otherwise just you know let me get to market with my stuff but as we got into the second wave industrial era more and more people had to live in cities because factories require proximity you have to have the workers in one place and all the materials have to come in in one place then we started getting the progressive uh, amendments of the last century you know prohibition and, and and income tax and all the rest my point is this we're now well 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 into an information age where individual citizens can order steel in china while they're eating dinner at a table someplace and and this government has to uh, the government has to conform to the economy the economy has become an information based economy and the government has to conform to it because you cannot you cannot run an economy this complex and this independent and this democratic with a with a federal structure that is this fossilized this this tall this heavy this fat this slow this stupid and this expensive so so mainstream media is coming to an end there nobody wants to see it anymore people get their young people get their news off of facebook and instagram and all the rest colleges are as you say you they're they're just mills where you pay a fortune and go into debt for 30 years so that you can come out less smart than you were when you went in and the Hollywood situation is pretty much over. The only model that makes any sense in Hollywood anymore is the is the super uh, tentpole, four hundred million dollar um, superhero movie. So all of these things are dying, and they're all being replaced by very democratic, very small, very low cost, inexpensive mammalian ways to get around these dinosaurs. And for Trump to have pulled off this miracle, for the American people to pull off this miracle at this time, means that these old institutions that were so powerful are now going to dissolve essentially into thin air
0: well let's uh let's hope so and let's not let uh, nature take its course let's uh lean as hard as we Ooh, can let's these absolutely structures.
1: shovel them into the river baby
0: all right. Well, thanks for a great chat, Bill. I just want to remind people, BillWhittle.com uh, for Bill's work and YouTube.com slash Bill channel. We'll put the links to all of these below. Uh, thanks for a great chat. It's great to see you on this side of the um, fight to save Western civilization. And uh, thanks for a great and enjoyable conversation. I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
1: You see, see this expression? Uh, uh, we didn't have this expression before. Uh, I, I didn't even a, know it, I had
0: those muscles. It's been yeah, so I long of losing. I didn't either.
1: I didn't either. And um, and Stefan, you you're a big part of this, and and you deserve an awful lot of credit for it. And um, and uh, congratulations to you and all your viewers. And uh, for those of you who are my viewers, uh, that's uh, freedomainradio.com. And it's been a pleasure talking with Stefan. And and the fun thing now will be to determine wh- how do we how do we remake this this culture. In the wake of this unbelievable gift of 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 a window of opportunity,
0: now that's going to be the big challenge over the next couple of years. I'm sure we'll all rise to meet it. Bill Whittle, again, thanks everyone so much.